Good morning, Ping Skillers, and welcome to episode 82 of the Ask the Coach Show, where we answer your table tennis questions. Today, we talk about preserving a lead, playing tournaments, Alois's trick of rolling the ball from one side of the bat to the other, and the Ping Skills 52-week training plan. As always, Super Coach Alois Rosario is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Good morning, Jeff. And uh, how's things going there? Yep, things are going well. Um, uh, looking forward to another great show. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yesterday was interesting. Some interesting discussion about some uh, tournaments and players, and yeah. Yep, and a lot more of that to come today, Alois. Good. Good. To be uh, yes. So um, first up, yesterday's pink skiller question of the day was. Should the ITTF put in place stricter rules to stop ex-Chinese players playing for different countries? What do you well, think? Yeah, prickly one, this one. This is uh, really interesting because um, there's, there's a couple of issues. So one is when we see um, like the Qatar Open, for example, and it, this happens especially in the women's uh, side of things we, we see, if you have a look down the list, I mean, most of the players are um, expat Chinese players uh, that have moved to other countries. Is it then the uh, credit of the country where those players move to um, that, that that country is getting good results, or is it just the fact that um, these players have moved there? But on the other hand, these players have moved there, they've adopted their new country, so you know, really they should be able to play for uh, whichever country they've moved to. Um, I think the ITTF have already um, had a good think about this, they've tightened it up a bit. You know, years ago it was just like you, you moved over to a new country and played there, but now I think it's a six year um, wait, so you know, players do have to wait a long time unless, unless they move over when they're um, a lot younger. So. I think they've got a reasonable balance, but um, yeah, it still, I think, doesn't look great um, when you've got um, just all expat Chinese playing each other in a tournament. Mm, interesting. I thought the ITF changed the rule alloys that it was something like, if you're over 21 and you move, you can never play for that country. Does that sound familiar? Oh, I don't know. I'll have to check on that one. But, um, yeah. Yeah. We'll have to check up on the rules because I personally think they've gone too far with it from what, from my understanding of the rules. And um, that's for, like, uh, tournaments that are run by the ITTF. With the Olympics, they have their own rules and Commonwealth Games have their own rules because they're run by different organisations. But... I, I kind of think you don't want to be restricting these things too much. I mean, it's a big move for people to move countries, and if they're going to do that, then I think it's fine. And I, I don't think there is really a problem with there being, you know, two expats playing against each other in a competition. I mean, there still it still could be Germany versus Austria, and I think that's fine. So I don't really have a problem with it. I think um, there shouldn't be worried too much about it. But it certainly is a dividing issue, Alice. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and um, from Australia's point of view, I mean, it's been fantastic. We've, um, we've got uh, two or three players from, that were born in China that uh, play 
in the Australian women's team. Um, they've been good for the country as far as um, lifting the level of the country. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, from Australia's point of view, it's been great. Yeah, and even uh, I, I agree, I think from Australia's point of view, it has been great. Uh, it's lifted the level. But some people say it hasn't been great because they've come along and they reckon a lot of girls have stopped even trying because they don't think they can ever beat these Chinese players. But I think that's kind of a bit of a, a loser's attitude. And I think, you know, with the right attitude, that's going to actually help the other players reach a higher level. So I think it's been nothing but good for Australia. Yeah. Um, yep. Certainly when... Uh, when I was playing, um, there were a couple of um, China, ex-Chinese players that uh, that came in and played in Australia, and that definitely lifted the level in the country. So there were a couple of uh, female players in the country at the time that that would definitely not have been as strong as they were if those players had come uh, to Australia. So um, players like Ying Kwok and Gina Hui came over. Um, and uh, and were able to lift the level of players like uh, Kerry Tepper and Nadia Biziak and Wendy Hughes and those sort of players um, because they pushed them to uh, to higher levels. Yes. Okay. All right. So we will do a bit of research and we'll find out the exact rules for you and talk about it in tomorrow's show. So stay tuned for that. All right, Alois. So that moves us on to the Pink Skillers question for today, which is. When your opponent makes a service error, do you say thank you? And it seems a bit weird, but we had a question uh, about this. So leave a comment and let us know what you do when your opponent serves a fault. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So go to pingskills.com, click on the blog link. You'll find the show where you can leave a comment. All right, Alois, let's get on to um, some of the questions. First up from uh, Baswa is how do we play against a very heavy side spin? The one that spins around, uh, the one that spins on the right. I generally use the forehand topspin stroke. Yep, so um, when, you're, when you're dealing with side spin, a lot of it's to do with the angle of your racket. So if, <clears throat> so I think what you're meaning, Baswell, with the right means that the ball's going to curve that way. So if the ball's curving that way, it's going to hit your racket and go back out the same into the same direction. So what you need to do is angle your racket um, around slightly so that you're countering the angle of your racket. So this can be with whatever stroke that you're talking about, with the push or with the topspin. So you just need to um, adjust the angle of your racket this way, um, depending on what type of side spins on the ball. To uh, to get the ball back onto the table, so so that's that's the real key. Um, using the angle of your racket to counter the side spin on the ball already. Yes, and I guess the biggest time you're going to have to worry about a lot of side spin on the ball is probably on the serve, because during the rally, players don't tend to put as much side spin on the ball. Yeah, so definitely definitely the serve is the key one. But sometimes they do play with the side spin with the uh, you know the hooky type of top spin um, which can be a little bit awkward, but with with the ball being long, as long as you brush the ball really heavily, even if it's got a lot of side spin, um, your own spin's going to take it in the direction that you would like it to go. 
Great. All right. Hopefully that helps out, Baswa. All right. Now, um, Baswa jumped on our Google Plus page and asked a question using the Google Q&A app, and anyone can do that when they're watching live. And Brock has also done that. And Brock's asked, how can a child... How can a Chinese player be better at table tennis than a Swedish player? Is it a different tempo, or what is it? Yeah, so we had, had a bit of a discussion about this a couple of days ago, um, but for me, it's just the bulk and the quantity of um, time they spend on the table, but then also the bulk and quantity of players they have. So, you know, if some of them drop out, if there's 10,000 players, if... 5,000 drop out, they've still got a really good base of 5,000 players pushing each other to make that peak a bit higher. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Start with a big base and you train really hard, um, you're going to get good results. And, and they love their sport and they do train extremely hard and have a lot of talent to choose from. Um, so it is difficult for other countries to compete, but it has been done in the past. Sweden is only a small country and managed to do it in the 80s, Alice? Yeah, they did. So they, they were... Um, yeah. <laughs> um, they, they, yeah, I mean, Sweden, Sweden was, uh, I mean, world champions in the 80s, and, and they were able to compete. Um, I think at the time the Chinese had dropped the ball a little bit as well, um, as far as uh, their level. Um, so, but, I mean, they... Sweden had a batch of players um, that came through all together that really pushed each other um, higher. So, you know, Waldner, Person, Applegren, um, those sort of guys, um, Carlson, uh, all came through together, pushed each other to a higher level as well. Indeed. All right. Um, so Lucas has got a question. He says, how old do you think Tomokazu Haramoto was when he started to play table tennis? <laughs> That's a really good question. Yeah, we were a bit, uh, bit uh, baffled yesterday. Like this eleven-year-old guy is a superstar for an eleven-year-old. I mean, hopefully he keeps going. You know, like hopefully he doesn't retire at fourteen. But, um, but it'd be interesting. Really interesting to to hear when he started playing. My guess is that he's probably started hitting a lot of balls at about four or five. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just trying to see if we can find out more information about him, but it's um, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, for for a player to to reach a level that high um, at 11 years old, he's obviously got to have hit a lot of table tennis balls. You know that that just doesn't come from anything natural um, to be able to just be able to counter balls coming at you at a bit. You know. Um, 150 k's an hour, um, and being able to spin the ball, being able to um, read spin, um, being able to counter spin. You know, uh, it's it, it'd be a really really interesting study to uh, to see um, what this guy has done um, in the last five or six years, and what what type of training that he has done as well um, to get him to reach to that level. Obviously, there's a lot of you know, we, we we've had this discussion about uh, nature versus nurture, or you know, um, how much is talent. Um, there has to be some sort of um, head start this kid's had. You know, at um, at age two or three or four, I reckon that he was probably fairly coordinated. Um, 
yeah. You would have to say that, wouldn't you? It is it is incredible. Um, I'm just looking on tabletennista.com and there's an article about him and he says, the young Harry Moto is a child of Chinese table tennis players Yu Harimoto and Zhang Ling. And he says, my dad is a good coach and he reaches me or teaches me a lot tactically and I trust him. <laughs> so there you go. So uh, so having, having uh, table tennis parents is... Um, uh, will obviously help, you know, so he's been exposed to table tennis from a very young age um, as well. Indeed. Um, now, a quick question from Brock. He says, does Waldner still live in China or does he live in Sweden now and does he still compete? Um, I don't know that he's ever lived in China, but um, but uh, he does still compete. They've got the... Um, the, the Masters series now, and uh, and he's competing in that, but he doesn't he doesn't compete a lot in uh, open tournaments. So, no, yeah, I think I think he trained a bit in China, but I don't know that he ever lived there as such. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's move on now to a question from Matthew, who says, "I've been training for a month, and I've learned the forehand and backhand counter hit." the backhand and forehand push, and the forehand topspin. I can do around 100 of these. I'm thinking about becoming a premium member and using the 52-week training plan. What are your thoughts, Alois? Yeah, so he was a bit... Um, he wasn't sure whether he would be ready to start, you know, training and, and doing drills and that sort of thing. I think once you've, um, once you've established those first basic strokes, I think it's easy to then start to do your drills. You know, once once you've got forehand and backhand count hit and pushing, um, then it's important to then move on to drills where you're doing footwork and movement and switching and, and linking linking strokes together. So and that's what, what is really covered in those um, early weeks of um, of the training plan. Um, work on consistency of strokes. So Yes, I, I mean, I, I think it's important that you then start to move on and do some sort of formal training. Yeah, that, that sounds good. And um, so the 52-week training plan is a great program, but you can also um, just do your own training if you're not a premium member. Uh, we have a PDF on a lot of training drills that um, you can do, so we'll put a link to that so you can um, have a look and work on your own training plans. Yeah, the beauty of the training plan is that it's all set out there for you. So um, we we go through and we spend four weeks um, focusing on different areas of the game and developing your game. Um, so, but as Jeff said, you know, if you've got the knowledge, you you can then go and develop um, your own plans as well. Yes. Yeah, so yes, yeah, so become a premium member and check out the fifty-two week plan. It's it's great. You'll love it. Um, uh, I was going to say congratulations to Matthew because it sounds like he's made a lot of progress in a month, Alois, and being able to do about 100 in a row of those strokes is, is very impressive. It's it's great, and it's exactly what you should be aiming for um, over those that, that initial period of training. You know, um, a lot we see a lot of players just get out there and just want to hit the ball hard and want to you know get as much spin as they can on the ball, but um, Matt's done really well as far as um, establishing those basics. Once you've established those basics, then it's easy to build on um, your training and uh, and your development. Great. Well, well done, uh, Matthew. 
All right. Now the next question is from Tom. It says, "How do you roll the ball from one side of the bat to the other?" In your practicing alone video at 2.05, you start rolling the ball from one side to the other. How do you do this? Um, good question. Um, why I was nicking off before was I, I was trying to find a ball. I've lost the ball that I've got here. Anyway. Um, oh, we want to see a demonstration. Oh, no, go away. Tomorrow. Tomorrow we will do the demonstration. Um, All right, everyone, come back for tomorrow. Yeah. You've got to see Alloy's rolling the ball from one side to the other. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's right. Stay tuned for tomorrow's show. Um, the basic principles are that you uh, balance the ball on one side, but the real trick is to push the ball up or throw the ball up, but follow the bat up. Uh, the, yeah, follow the ball up with your bat. If I had a ball, this is what the ball would be doing. Um, it would be here. Um, you follow it up, and as it's getting to the peak of its bound, uh, peak of its lift, you basically just turn your bat over and then let it fall down. So it's up, follow it up, and let it come down. So yeah, it's um, what a good demonstration without a table tennis ball, hey? Interesting. So. It's more like throwing the ball up than actually rolling it. Is it helpful to think of it in those terms? Yeah, so you're throwing the ball up and catching it um, with the other side of your racket, basically. Um, yeah, so, yeah, well, tomorrow's demonstration is going to be great. It is. Everybody's going to love it. Great. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on then. Next question from JB. And JB says, Playing against an opponent of a similar level, leading with a, what statistically looks like a decisive margin, say like 8-5, you think that in this position you would be ashamed not to be able to close it out. But you play like your grandmother and you blow it. What's going on in these types of situations, Alloys? And JB wants to know how you can um, preserve your lead. Okay. Yeah, so JB... It's an interesting one, and JB in his full question went through a few stats as well. So at 8-5, he said that the odds of winning the game are 71%. So that's probably right. But He's saying, I guess, statistically, if you're, if you're even players and you've got a 50% chance of winning the point, then from that point, you've got a 71% chance of winning. That's right, yes. So, it, you know, the, the, the mind plays such a big part in these situations. You know, firstly, the fact that you're talking about a score of 8-5 will be um, in in your mind as well. So as soon as the score gets to 8-5, you'll be starting to churn over. Hang on, the last time I did I played and I was leading 8-5, I struggled or I lost the game. Um, in, really important in these situations that you start to just break things down into one point at a time. Establish some um, routines for yourself that you... Um, use or utilize before every point. You've got to treat each point as being important. Um, so whether it's love all, love 10, 10 nil, 8 5, 5 all, if you can start to uh, treat the, the points similarly, then you will start to uh, be able to play them better. Um, so what do we mean by establishing a routine? Just a couple of second routine that you do in between each point. So um, you might bounce the ball twice. You might uh, then you know 
throw the ball up, hit it, whatever. Um, so think about think about a routine that you do for yourself, a physical routine in between um, points. The other thing is to just think about a, a thought process between each of the points. So um, a simple one is uh, take a take a breath to calm yourself down, and then secondly, uh, think about the tactic that you're going to use for the next point, and then focus on the ball. So those. Um, three simple things um, you can do in a few seconds and if you go through that process every time then it starts to block out those negative thoughts that you've got in your head of oh no it's 8-5 again I remember um, two weeks ago when I played um, a match and I was 8-5 up and I lost yeah so um, yeah so just trying to block those negative thoughts by occupying um, that time in between points yeah, interesting, Alice. I mean, I found it interesting in the question, just looking at even the wording, even the how do I preserve a lead means you're already thinking about winning the match. So that's sort of taking your thoughts away from the point-by-point -point routine that you're talking about. So I guess, yeah, implementing that point-by-point routine is going to get you thinking in the right mindset. But, yeah, I just... Initially, just the wording is like, oh, you're thinking about the winning. You're not thinking about the point by point. Yeah, and um, it, 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 it's a good point there, Jeff, because the word preserving does tell you a lot, doesn't it? In a basketball match, you can preserve a lead uh, because you can just run the clock down. You don't have to do any more scoring yourself. Unfortunately, in a table tennis match, um, you have to win another point to win the match. So you cannot preserve the lead. You can't just sit at 8-5 and, um, and suddenly the umpire is going to uh, declare it, uh, the match to you. You've got to still go out there and win three more points to at least to, to win the game. So so think about, think about it that way. Think about you still need to uh, implement the things that you've been doing to win points so that you can keep progressing. You can't preserve. You can't sit on on your eight points and uh, and be declared the winner. Indeed. Well, great question, JB, and hopefully those tips um, help you out and get you thinking point by point and just concentrating uh, one at a time. All right, next question is from Andre Alois, who says, I have been playing table tennis for four years and I want to begin to play in tournaments. There's a tournament uh, in two months, and it's a regional qualifier. Should I sign up for it, or do I still need more time to practice? The answer is definitely. Um, I think I think it's really good to just get in there and play some tournaments um, initially, just so that you see what else is going on um, in, a, in a broader picture, often um, we either play at home or in a little club or um, at school, and you see your group of players regularly, and, and you know you might be trying to reach the top of that uh, that group. But there's a much bigger world out there of table tennis. So by playing tournaments, you you expose yourself to to a, a bigger range of players. It's a little bit like what we were talking about earlier with the the Chinese players coming in and lifting the standard of the of the country. If you're not exposed to higher level players and you don't see them and you don't get a chance to play against them, then you'll never really understand that there isn't higher level and the things that you can 
can do and can achieve. So, uh, yeah, definitely get out there and and play in a tournament. Just see see what it's like. Great. So Andre's waited four years. Um, should people wait any sort of length of time, or just straight away, just get in there and try and play in a tournament? I, I think um, you. For, I mean, just develop your basic skills. You know, your forehands, backhands. Um, learn how to serve correctly. Re- learn the rules. But there are different levels of tournaments too. So um, I wouldn't recommend you entering the World Championships because you you wouldn't learn anything as far as uh, being out on the table. You're better off just going and watching. But um, at um, at different tournaments, they have different levels of, of play. So they might have a Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, uh, that sort of thing, or they might have different age groups. So just go in there and find something that uh, is reasonably suited to you and, um, and give it a go. Excellent. All right. Well, good luck, Andre, into that tournament and let us know how you go. You'll have a great time. All right, now we've got a few more Q&A questions from our live viewers, Alois. So first, uh, one from uh, Vassilar who says, when practicing the backhand counter hit, I don't follow through much, but the ball goes really nice. Is it really important to follow through with the backhand counter hit? Yeah. So um, initially, just make sure that you're starting in a good position and finishing um, with your bat coming through. So you don't have to um, get your bat going all the way through to start off with, with the counter hit. Just develop the control um, of the bat on the ball. Um, learn how to control that um, initially, and then you can start to add a little bit more wrist and a little bit more um, movement through with the arm. So, yeah, no, initially just... Just control the ball, learn to um, to put the ball back on the table consistently, and then you can start to develop and extend your stroke a little bit more. Yeah, that sounds good. But even when learning, I guess that start and finish position are, are quite good um, indicators to help you learn the stroke. Yeah, they are. So, you know, take a look at um, the lesson on the backhand counter hit and just see uh, where we have our start position and our finish position. Hit those two points with your bat from here to here, and, um, yeah, you won't go too far wrong. Excellent. All right. Um, now, quick one from Brock. Who was your grown-up idol in table tennis when you were kids? Uh, yeah, Waldner. Yeah, it was the Swedish players for me because they were beating the Chinese at that time, and, and Waldner was the best of them. So Waldner and person, probably my idols. All right. And one from Lucas Alois, he says, it's very impressive uh, Tomokazu proved how good you can get in a couple of years. Do you think that if you practice hard enough, you can reach that level in just a couple of years? Um, I, I think this guy's probably a bit of a freak. He's, um, he's, we've just found out that he's got um, table tennis players as parents, so he's been exposed to table tennis from a very young age. And he probably hasn't just been playing for a couple of years. Um, you you have to hit a lot of balls. You have to have you have to have a little bit of natural ability um, somewhere. You know whether it's because you've seen table tennis from a very early age or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I mean, don't expect to go out there and and uh, and be able to learn the game in two or three years. I think, you know, this is a bit of a, um, things have come together really well for this kid. Um, 
and uh, and he's been able to reach such a high level. Um, so I mean, yeah, really, it does take ten years of hitting table tennis balls to to reach any sort of level. There you go. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Another great show. We appreciate everyone uh, watching the show, and we appreciate the live audience and people asking questions. So keep doing that. And thank you, Alois. Seven o'clock. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, yeah, we will see you. What's today? Tuesday, Wednesday, tomorrow. Yes. We'll we see will. Alois is going to demonstrate rolling the ball live on the show. Don't miss it. With the uh, ball. With the ball. With a ball, indeed. Thanks, everyone. Make sure you visit pingskills.com and sign up for our free newsletter. We will catch you tomorrow. Bye.